The Money Show. Other people's money. Uh, looking forward to be joined this evening uh, by Pumzile Van Dam. Pumzile was Democratic Alliance MP uh, up until what was it, May 2021. She stepped out um, of Parliament and out of the Democratic Alliance and out of mainstream politics. We're going to talk to her all about that part of that journey, plus, of course, um, many other parts of a fascinating life in politics and then we'll talk about money as well. I was going to ask Pumzeda whether or not you wanted me to write your biography because the going rate seems to be about 12 and a half million rand. I'm willing to do it for 10 um, if if you got 10 million rand. Prince Moshele was apparently paid 12 and a half, but Herman Mashab is older than you, so it'd be a more complicated story. Um, are you up for it, I wonder? Maybe that is that part of the problem with the world right now is we can never trust where our information is coming from. I suppose that is part of the problem. Uh, you can write my unauthorized <laughs> biography at 50 cents a word. <laughs> I don't even that, know how much that is. <laughs> that, that's about the going rate, actually, unless somebody is looking for a particularly... Oh, goodness. Good I thought deal. I was just plucking a number out of the sky, so that's the going rate. <laughs> ah, disinformation. Yeah, I was actually questioning today whether that would qualify as disinformation. I guess it is kind of a manipulation of voters because this is a person who is in a quest for power um, and not being fully open with regards to whether or not you had... Uh, I, think, I, think being, I think you're being yeah. generous there, Pumzele. I mean, you're saying not being fully open, mm-hmm. not being open, not being honest, lying, uh, yeah, essentially, by omission is is is... Is is untruth and untruth is a lie. It is one of the same thing. Yeah, I think this is going. It's you know the disinformation field is you know disinformation is as old as uh, the dawn of humanity, but I think now of late it's become a new debate, Um, and I am very wary about labeling instances disinformation um, unless it very clearly fits into the definition, which is this. So false or incorrect information deliberately spread to mislead for political or profit, ba- for, for profit or for political gain. So in terms of that definition, it's disinformation. Yeah, I think I think it is. I mean, omission. If you if you assume omission is a falsehood, um, then mm. and it's for political gain, I would concur. But anyway, where are you? Where where do we find you? This where time? am I? So I am. Most of the time, I live in Oslo, um, but Oslo. I work off my computer. Uh, I'm one of those remote workers that Elon Musk says he detests, um, and my work is essentially around. Africa and a little bit in the US. So I travel quite a bit. I try to come home as often as I can, but I am based here in the frozen north, uh, but luckily the sun is back. So it's not as bad. And it must, it must have been a brutal winter. When did you arrive? So I've been here for li- almost two years. So oh, well. you mentioned yeah, my resignation from Parliament. Uh, it was actually my two-year anniversary two days ago. On the 20th of May, 2021, um, I said goodbye to South African politics. So I think I will have been here in July for about two years. 
Most divorces, are, I mean, all divorces, I think, have a level of pain to them. Was was the 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 divorce from mainstream politics, from the from Parliament, from the DA? It was a multiple level divorce. Was it a painful one? Absolutely. Um, I think there's the lead up to the divorce. There's the actual act of divorce, and then there's the recovery. And every single stage was incredibly painful for me. Um, so the lead up was a situation where I realized that I probably shouldn't be in this space anymore. It's not healthy for me. Um, but I am insisting, despite there being signs that I shouldn't be there. Then there's the fa- final act of divorce where I was like, okay, I'm leaving. And there's a sense of euphoria. Um, and then I think followed by that comes a sense of grief um, for what I've lost. Um, and I think I was incredibly, incredibly burnt out. Um, that it's taken me quite a while to kind of fully recover um, and be back to my old self. I think it took a full year afterwards. Sure. Um, so, yeah, but I'm happy. I'm at peace. I'm loving my work. Everything's great. Good news on that particular front. Now, the your but I mean you you have for somebody with politics in your bones, and I mean you were political right from the start, even if you didn't realize you were political. Talk to me yeah. about your first political action. I think around yeah. about age five or six. Yes, yes, yes. That was my first political action. I think I grew up with a grandmother um who kind of born in the 1920s when patriarchy was alive. And she was a feminist. I mean, back then, there probably wasn't a name to kind of attach to who she was. But looking back, she was a feminist. And um, she would encourage me speaking up quite often. There'd be instances when my uncle say, oh, no, this is not meant for girls. And she would say, go. So I think it was really nurtured in me to stand up for what it's right, uh, speak out when I see something um, wrong. So, yeah, my first political action was when I was in grade five, I think it was, um, and the teacher had refused to allow us go- to go out for break. I got my classmates uh, to make placards. We all made placards. I don't remember what we wrote on them. And I got into a fair amount of trouble, a big amount of trouble. And did that bother you? I mean, did, did the trouble bother you? Because, I mean, trouble at school is one thing, but when the trouble transcends and goes home with you and yeah. you don't have support at home, that's that's where it becomes a bit hard, I mean, much harder, yeah. I, I suspect. Yeah, Were you yeah I mean, trouble, home? yes, yes. So the trouble was, uh, I was called to the headmaster's office, where it's in the office, parents called. So you now know that, yeah, you're in Deep, deep, deep now. Deep in the brown stuff. <laughs> deep. So uh, my parents were called. I was nervous, nervous, nervous. On the drive home, they didn't say anything. And I'm just kind of like, fingers crossed. Got home. They didn't say anything. Um, and it was years, years later that my mom said, do you know what? I was really, I never said anything about that, but I was really, really proud of you. Um, so I guess that kind of, that story tells um, what I was taught, what I believe, uh, and what was encouraged in me at a very young age to be independently minded, to not 
be afraid of the difficulties that come with seeking justice. You know, there'll be detracted, there'll be people who attack you. Uh, and I guess it is why during my political career and now, I don't really mind if people are offended by me or if I, I don't know, I just do what is right and whether people like it or not is neither here nor there for me. Talk to me about your commitment to truth, your commitment to facts, your commitment to transparency. This, uh, Because when you leave the uh, ANC, you join the DA, you you go to the DA with, with very broad... I was never in the ANC. <laughs> Where were you not? No, told, no. I'm told you left the ANC. Now, this is misinformation. No, I was never Corrected and put it back in my box. I apologize. Where, where did drawn. you get that from? Did you get Oh, I can't wait. remember. I can't remember. So here's an interesting thing, uh, which actually fits into our chat. So I don't know if your researcher may have used um, chat GPT. Because to well, test uh, whether... Now, now this, is, this is the great bust we're about to find out. Let exactly. us because ChatGPT, just to test its uh, levels of accuracy, I put in myself, I was like, who is Pumzi Levandam? Yes. And I, I, I remember I was in a fight of will with ChatGPT. It insisted. So at first said I was in the ANC, then I was a journalist, then I went to University of Pretoria, which were all completely incorrect. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, so while kind of technological advancements are great um, in the fight for truth, they are also incredibly harmful. Um, and ChatGPT is, it's not to be trusted as a source of information. It has I'm, I'm, very I'm waiting, I'm waiting for disclosure from my producers. I'm looking at a little screen in front of me. Uh, be, be honest about this, producers. Did you use ChatGPT? Um, in your gathering of information, um, I wonder. But yeah, because I've googled my, I've googled myself on ChatGPT. Listen to me, I've, I've ChatGPTed myself. It's clumsy, but again, half of the CV was wrong, um, and it's it's sort of it's got places and times and dates and positions and jobs, all of that stuff wrong, and that's again a big problem I'm sure that you are facing in your work because your work nowadays is with the um, is with I'm terrified actually to tell you what what your what your work is, but you're you're working on dis, on trying to understand where communication goes wrong. Um, and you've worked with the United Nations, you've worked, uh, become a member of the, inter I love this, the International Grand Committee on Disinformation. It feels quite Orwellian in itself, um, the Grand Committee on Disinformation. But your work right now is in the pursuit of reliable information. Absolutely. Um, I think before I left my political career, it had become a an issue I was very, very passionate about, given our, our own saga with Al Pottinger. So the online space and how people communicate online and what the impacts are offline became something that I was very passionate about. I read a lot about um, and literally just wanted to be in the benches of parliament, having fully informed myself with that information. Um, so now I do so many things. 
Um, but I guess the key work that I'm really, really passionate about now that I am doing um, is around disinformation in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so equipping organizations in that region with the tools that they need to conduct social media monitoring because it's a it's technical process, you know, the gathering of data on social media platforms and seeing what the data says. So it's around kind of equipping them with those tools um, looking at policies and laws to see where there are great vulnerabilities, um, where lawmaking needs to exist where there is none. Um, and this isn't a quest of, after being kind of part of a global community of people, activists, professionals uh, in the anti-disinformation field, I just realized that there wasn't a big enough focus on Africa. So the majority of my work is around bringing greater attention to, to our continent. Let's talk about money, because, of course, this is the yeah. money show. This is all about yeah. money. You've referred to granny and growing up with granny and the values at home really, really strong. What was growing up at home like from a from a financial perspective? Um, I would say my, my, I grew up, my great parents were both teachers because uh, I spent the first few years of my um, childhood with my grandparents. My grandmother was a teacher. My grandfather was a postmaster. And education was a big value in my family. Uh, so my grandmother had seven children. She made sure every single one of them had some form of tertiary, tertiary education. Um, so I didn't once I grew up in a family where I was impoverished or wealthy. I think I had a fairly comfortable middle-class middle upbringing. Um, and yeah, it was a fairly happy childhood. And one, if there's one kind of flaw, um, it's not being taught how to manage money that I found to be a problem in life later on. No, but I, and this is the, it's the universal problem. It's not a you yeah. problem. It's not just a me mm -hmm. problem. It's, um, it's an all of us problem. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's a global problem. And it's, and it's this, this, I have a great frustration that our school curriculum does not zone in on issues of money, the power of money, the benefits of money, the risks of money, the dangers of getting on the wrong side of compound interest, all of these things. Did you get yourself into a spot of bother at a, at a point? Oh, um, no. Which is why just, you regret. Yeah, just on that point. I mean, I think that should be part of the curriculum. I think we need to reimagine the curriculum, um, include coding, because um, we're becoming a far more digitalized world. But anyway, that's another topic. Um, money. So, and I used to get pocket money, which I don't think was nearly enough. Um, but it was a fairly small amount, which I could manage. Um, and I remember after I got my first job, uh, my first boss always says this. Um, as I was leaving when I'd gotten the job, I picked up my phone and he heard me screaming, I'm getting 16,000 rand. So for me at that time, that was just amazing. And boy, did I spend. I opened Let's an account. Let's get to the spending in just a moment. Yeah. Because that, yeah. the joy of that first imminent paycheck 
does crazy things to us. I'm talking this evening to Pumzile Van Dam. She is a former DA member of Parliament. Not once was she a member of the ANC. She is with us uh, this evening from Oslo, where she is working in the dark world of disinformation and trying to ensure we get the record straight. That is who we are with this evening. More with her on that spending (gasps) in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. So, Pumzila Van Dam, what is that first job that gives you this princely sum? Uh, We shouldn't say princely (laughs) sum, should we? Um, Of 16,000 rand. I was a researcher for the DA in Parliament back okay. in 2009. Okay, good. Uh, you got terribly excited, but then went mad. Ooh. I got into a spiral of debt because I had this money, which me to me seemed like a huge amount. I felt rich. So I opened up clothing accounts at Edgar's, Truewoods. And because I was young, I didn't necessarily read the terms and conditions. Um, and I was in significant debt. Um, and I had to, so my entire 20s was me trying to get out of that, that debt. The first few years of after getting my job, getting out of that debt, um, adjusting my living standard to what I can actually earn after paying off my debts. Um, so my 30s, I just didn't want to have any debt. To this day, I, I basically don't owe anyone anything. I live within my means. Um, if I want something, I will save for it. Uh, I think maybe a car payment is one. But other than that, if I want something, I will save for it. Um, that's just the way that I live. I live within my means. Uh, a valuable, but such a painful lesson that far too many people have to endure to learn how the world works. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, I think it's a, it's a different era now. I think the world, the, the, the lenders are less profligate than they were perhaps in those days. In those days, there was mm. cowboy lending. I don't think it's so bad. I think the national, uh, the, the, the rules around lending have helped in terms of mitigating some of the very worst effects of ourselves, getting ourselves into trouble. No, absolutely. Because I remember back in the day, um, I ended up getting loans with African Bank. And I I was like, mm, I don't know, would you give me a loan? My credit looks terrible. Why are you giving me a loan? So I think it was really not well protected back then. And I'm really hoping that new generations have a far better relationship with money. They have that knowledge. Uh, and luckily, they are... The rules are in place for them. Um, there is, of course, the risk of online scams. Oh, pff, huge. There is the risk of online scams. Um, yeah, and that remains a big fear for me, particularly in the work that I uh, work in. Uh, um, are, are, you, are you feeling like the battle against misinformation is winnable? There is just so much that cannot be trusted. In the world. Yeah, it's just so much. So before kind of the proper reintroduction of uh, of generative AI, it seemed feasible. Um, and even though my first frustration when I got into the field was that a lot of the discussion centered around identifying the problems. Mine was more solutions, let's talk solutions. And I think we finally kind of had 
a hand on the problem. Um, I think the pandemic was a good test case. Um, and even though there was a lot of disinformation um, in countries with high levels of digital literacy, there's high levels of vaccination. Um, so I think it was a good test case to see how, you know, disinformation mitigation strategies could be implemented and effectively so. But with generative AI, it is an entirely new and scary environment. Um, you know, I sometimes have to question myself, am I being a conspiracy theorist? Is this just some <laughs> dystopian fear of, oh, the machines are going to take over? Um, and I think the man kind of called the godfather of AI resigned from Google and said he wants to warn against the threats, specifically around disinformation. Because with the audio capabilities of AI, they can take your voice, Bruce, uh, and then can have you say anything. Uh, you your images you're not even sure that this is me, Pumzile. Uh, exactly. <laughs> How do I know? Is this, this AI? We must cut it there because my AI, my batteries are going flat and I need to say goodnight. But Pumzile, enjoy Oslo. I'm glad the weather's warming up and uh, happy second anniversary in Oslo. Other people's money this evening, former DAMP Pumzile Vandam.